good afternoon and today we'll we'll con continue with what we began yesterday we began with uh, discussing about oncogenes and cancer con causing genes yesterday and today we shall be continuing the discussion yesterday we have looked at oncogenes and how do they result in cancer today we look at the second big group of genes which result in cancer mutations of which result in cancer and that is the tumor suppressor genes yeah now an important difference that i would like you all to remember between oncogene and tumor suppressor gene is oncogene generally code for proteins of that stimulate growth or oncoproteins generally stimulate growth whereas tumor suppressor genes code for proteins that normally inhibit growth the second important difference that you have to pay attention to is if there is a mutation in one copy of the oncogene that is sufficient to result in increased cell division whereas today we shall be looking at tumor suppressor gene mutations where you need to knock off two copies both the copies of the cell and to result in cancer or uncontrolled cell division yeah so oncogene mutations one is sufficient to result in increased cell division whereas tumor suppressor genes you need to knock off both copies to result in increased cell division yeah and that is what we shall be looking at today so that is a theme for the tumor suppressor genes that you have to know okay you need to knock off both copies in order to in order for the cell to have uncontrolled division okay so under the tumor suppressor genes we are going to look at a few inherited can uh, autosomal da dominant cancer syndrome and i think retinoblastoma is a typical example and that will be our first one p53 mutations which run in families is a second example in that class okay we shall not be talking about dna repair which results in autosomal recessive kind of increased predisposition to cancer because that has been dealt with in a in a in, in an entire lecture on dna repair so we are not going to touch on that but remember those disorders in in all of these disorders listed here you have increased predisposition to cancer okay now the important genes that belong to this group we shall look at rb gene those have been bolded the retinoblastoma gene and the retinoblastoma what what is basically the normal function and what happens when there is a mutation p53 also called as tp53 that is the protein 53 wt1 very briefly yeah and and the, in towards the end of the lecture we shall look at apc gene mutation msh1 that is basically they uh, they result in familial colorectal cancer and braca1 and 2 very briefly which results in increased predisposition to breast cancer so these are all the different kinds of tumor suppressor genes that have been identified but of course the list is 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 much longer than this so we are just going to look at representative examples from this list now if you think about the wilms tumor wilms tumor is increased um, mutation on the chromosome 11 wt1 gene again a loss of function mutation which results in renal cancer so renal cancer typically in very young children okay more about wilms tumor you will be learning in um, in pathology in term 4 so for now just note what what gene is mutant and it is a typical example of a tumor suppressor gene so let's look at what is a tumor suppressor gene so when there is a normal tum tumor suppressor gene when there is no mutation so in a normal cell the tumor suppressor gene produces the protein which is typically called a tumor suppressor protein and this when it is present it will inhibit cell growth and in other words the cell division is regulated so cell cycle is regulated now when there is a mutation or loss of function mutation in the tumor suppressor gene what happens is a mutant tumor suppressor protein is produced or sometimes no protein is produced and as a result this mutant protein is not able to put the brake on the cell cycle or it's not able to control the cell cycle now what what kinds of proteins are typically produced by tumor suppressor genes they are typically cell cycle control genes 
most of them work at the G1 to S transition phase. So most of the proteins, tumor suppressor proteins, which are encoded by these genes, most of them regulate the G1 to S transition. Some of them promote apoptosis, so mutation results in the cell becoming immortal. Okay? Or sometimes some DNA repair genes have been classified again, uh, under the heading of tumor suppressor genes. Okay? Now this is an important concept, the, what is written at the bottom of the slide. So if you have one good copy of the tumor suppressor gene, remember it's going to produce some protein, some normal tumor suppressor protein, and that is sufficient to inhibit the cell cycle or inhibit the development of cancer. You need to, do, you need to have mutations in both the copies in order to develop cancer. So this is the basis of the two-hit hypothesis, and that is for tumor suppressor genes, whereas oncogene one mutation, one copy is mutant that is sufficient to result in increased cell growth. Okay? So this is the basis of the two-hit hypothesis that we are going to look at in more detail. Now also, there is another evidence to support the two-hit hypothesis. So, there, so tumor suppressor gene mutations, they, they can be present in the familial form. That means it runs in families or it can occur so sporadically in population. However, there is an important difference between the two. Familial cancers typically are present as multiple tumors and are much more severe. That means the age of onset is much earlier than the sporadic. Okay? Most of the time, they are bilateral too. So multifocal and sometimes bilateral. Okay? So, and that is one of the key, these are the two key differences that you might want to remember to differentiate between familial versus non-familial or sporadic forms of cancer. So we're going to explain a little more about this. Why is multiple tumors much more common in the familial variety than in the sporadic kind? Now if we imagine the tumor suppressor mutation, so this is how it looks like. So in a sporadic cancer, sporadic tumor suppressor mutation, a typical example is retinoblastoma. What you have to imagine is, so these are the normal somatic cells. So the first hit happens at one point, a few years, and, and ne the next hit, the second copy of the gene is lost a few years later. And once the cell loses, the somatic cell loses both the copies of the gene, this is now the, the beginning of cancer. In other words, the cell now starts to divide uncontrollably. So note that the first mutation is not inherited. The first mutation happens sometime in life. The second mutation in the same cell has to occur, and this results in cancer of that group of cells. Okay? In other words, what I'm trying to explain here is you have to knock off two copies within the same cell. Both the copies have to be mutant in the same cell in order to result in cancer. So in sporadic, it's the first mutation happens sometime during life. The second mutation happens a few years later. Okay? Now let's try to compare with familial. Now when you think about familial cancer, remember this child has inherited the mutant gene from one of the parent. And therefore, all somatic cells contain one copy mutant. So the first hit or the first mutation is present in all the somatic cells. So the first mutation has already happened, so it has inherited it from birth. So it's just a matter of time that the second mutation will occur in the same gene, and the cells that have the second mutation or the second hit will now develop into cancer. And you can imagine this occurrence of the second hit is going to be much earlier than the occurrence of the second hit in sporadic cancer, and that explains the earlier onset of familial cancer because the, the cells, the, the child is already born with one hit or one copy mutant. So the second hit happens and this group of cells now develop into cancer. Yeah. So that is the two hit. This is a very important concept, okay? And that is for tumor suppressor gene. The two hit hypothesis, that means two copies have to be lost for development of the tumor. Now the second hit, how does the second hit happen? Now there are different kinds of things that could happen and here what we're trying to explain is the loss of heterozygosity. Now this is a child 
who has familial retinoblastoma. Okay, so this is the child with familial retinoblastoma. The star indicates the mutant gene. Note that mom has given the mutant gene to the child and the child has one copy of the mutant, one copy of the normal. Okay, the two is linked to the mutation. So that is two. Now the child has two copies of the gene, but one of them is knocked off. The, the copy from the mom is knocked off or is mutant. Now, note that the copy one, that is, or allele one that the child has got from the dad is a working copy. Okay? Now, at this time, you do analysis. The mom is homozygous for the two kind. Dad is homozygous for the allele one. And the child is heterozygous. So it has one copy of two and one copy of one. Yeah? Now, this child develops retinoblastoma and then you take the tumor tissue and do analysis. You find that the tumor tissue does not have the normal copy. It has lost the normal copy. In other words, the second hit has happened. So it has lost the normal copy. So remember the child was heterozygous but now it looks like there is loss of heterozygosity. That means the normal copy is lost. And invariably, it is the normal copy that is lost, resulting in development of the tumor. So when you examine the tumor tissue, you do not find the normal copy. The normal copy is missing or it is mutant. So there is loss of heterozygosity. And this phenomenon, this word, this, this, this is like a keyword. Second hit is one keyword for tumor suppressor gene. The next word that you have to note is loss of heterozygosity. That means if you look at the tumor tissue, you find only the mutant kind. That means both copies have undergone mutation. In other words, the second hit has happened. Okay, so this is loss of heterozygosity. Now, the ne next question is, what are the different mechanisms which result in the second hit? So there are different mechanisms explained. It could be spontaneous loss of the second copy. And as a result, you just have the mutant copy. So in the second, in the second copy, it's just lost. Yeah? Spontaneous loss of the second copy. Or you could have copies of the mutant gene only and there is no copy of the normal gene. Yeah? So because of um, recombination event. What is more easier to understand is deletion of that copy. Yeah? Deletion of that normal copy. So that it is lost. This, the normal copy is lost or it could be a point mutation in the second copy resulting in the second hit and as a result the protein produced from this copy is not functional okay so it could be any of them now besides these mechanisms the second hit could also be explained based on epigenetic change now what's the meaning of this that means so that there was rb minus indicates the mutant copy and rb plus is the wild type or the normal copy now what could happen is methylation of the normal copy could take place. What happens when you methylate a gene? It's going to be inactive. So in other words, it's, there's going to be no transcription or translation. In other words, no active retinoblastoma protein production. And as a result, this copy is mutant, inactive. This copy is, has been inactivated by methylation. Okay? So these are the different mechanisms by which you inactivate or mutate or just lose the second copy and these are the different mechanisms for the second hit okay so let's try to explain what's the normal function of the retinoblastoma protein now the retinoblastoma protein is typically activated at the g1 to s transition or the g1 to s um, checkpoint now at the g1 to s checkpoint there is increase in cyclins and cyclin-dependent kinases. You're aware of that, right? You've already studied. Yes? No? Yes? You remember? Yeah, long time. Yeah? <laughs> so in the cell cycle, what happens is at the end of the G1 phase, there is increase in cyclin and increased activity of the cyclin-dependent kinases. Now at this time, what happens is the cyclin-dependent kinases and cyclin will phosphorylate the retinoblastoma protein. The green colored protein here is RB protein. So the RB protein, these, uh, the cyclin and CDKs will add phosphate groups to it. In other words, it becomes hyperphosphorylated. Now hyperphosphorylated RB allows 
the transcription factor E2F, it frees, it does not bind to E2F anymore, and E2F is now free to transcribe the S phase genes. In other words, it is telling the cell to move on into the next phase. So once you transcribe the S phase genes, the cells will leave, will exit G1 and move on to the S phase. Now imagine there is no cyclin or CDK, which typically happens during the G1 phase, yeah? during the entire G1. Only at the end, the cyclin and CDK actually increase. So when there is no cyclin or CDK, what happens is the RB protein is not phosphorylated or very minimally phosphorylated. So the RB protein is, since it's not much phosphorylated, it binds to E2F, that is a transcription factor E2F, and as a result, the E2F RB complex, it binds to the DNA, but there is no transcription. It may bind to the DNA, but no transcription. In other words, the cell is arrested in the G1 phase. So during the G1 phase, what happens is the RB is tightly binding to E2F and not allowing the movement into the next phase. So the, the cell is arrested in G1. Now as, a now as a result of the mutation, what you have to imagine is, so imagine a mutant RB protein or, or no RB protein. So what you have to imagine is a condition where there is hyperphosphorylated RB or no retinoblastoma protein. And in this situation, what, what happens is E2F is free. So E2F will keep telling the cell to move on into the S phase because it causes transcription of the S phase genes. Yeah? So when there is no RB protein or a mutant RB protein or an inactive RB protein, what happens is E2F has no control. So E2F keeps telling keeps transcribing the S phase genes. In other words, it keeps telling the cell to divide, to move on into the next phase. Okay? In other words, there is no cell cycle arrest. The cell keeps dividing. Okay? Now remember, to control RB protein, there are many other proteins before it, upstream of RB. So cyclin and CDK, we have looked at that. Mutations of those or those are in turn controlled by P16. So we're not going to talk about more about all of these proteins, but remember, any of these protein mutations can finally result in a similar result. Yeah? So can have the similar effect of increased cell cycle progression from G1 to S phase. Yeah? We are just looking at the representative example of RB. But remember, it can be any of the upstream proteins malfunction of that which can result in increased movement into the cell cycle or increased cell division. Okay? Now that is a child, retinoblastoma is a childhood cancer and that's a child with retinoblastoma. Most of the time you recognize the white and it's called as the white reflex of the eye and that's because of the tumor. So this is actually the tumor that you can see through the eye, through the pupil. The tumor is quite big and sometimes if it's too big the eye may have to be enucleated. Yeah? So that is the enucleated eye. Note the large size of the tumor. Multiple foci may be present, and if multiple foci are present, the, you lean towards familial cancer. Whereas if it, sometimes it's bilateral, both eyes are affected, then you think about familial. Look for family history of retinoblastoma. One of the parents may have a mutant RB gene. Okay? Again, at this time, we just want to remind yourself, germline is our familial mutation when the first hit is already present at life and they, are, they already have the mutation in the somatic cells. The second hit happens by another, the second mutation or loss of heterozygosity. Sporadic takes a longer time to present because the first hit has to occur and then the second hit in the same cell. Okay? So just try to compare between the two. Now this is a, these are two families with, one is with familial cancer, the other one is with sporadic retinoblastoma. So note the Mendelian autosomal dominant pattern of inheritance. So every new child born to this couple has a 50% chance of having retinoblastoma. So that's a typical autosomal dominant kind of inheritance. However, 
if you look at here, note that we say this mutation or this disease is recessive at the cellular level. What does that mean? So this is an autosomal dominant kind of transmission, but we say that the mutation is recessive at the cellular level. And that's because you need to, you need to knock out both, the, the second copy has to be knocked off before the child can develop retinoblastoma. So it is autosomal dominant kind of inheritance because it's 50% for every new child that's born to this couple. But remember, if the child has to manifest with it, then the second copy has to be knocked off in that somatic cell. Only then the child has retinoblastoma. The occurrence of the second mutation, the rate of occurrence is very, very high. In other words, the penetrance of this disorder is quite high. Yeah. Again, multiple tumors, bilateral, early onset. That's characteristic of familial, whereas sporadic, typically single tumors, so not one eye affected, or unilateral, one, one eye, single tumors, uh, or later onset. That's because two sporadic mutations have to occur within the same cell. Okay? The chance of that occurring is much lower. This is the same thing, what we explained before. So this is just to make sure that you understand the importance of RB, which in turn is inhibiting the transcription factor E2F. Okay. So what, what you realize now is tumor suppressor mutation, remember it's, the tumor suppressor gene is acting like the break for the cell cycle. You need to lose both of them in order to be able to result in uncontrolled cell division or cancer. Yeah, the first copy and the second copy lost. Now the next tumor suppressor gene or the tumor suppressor protein that we shall be talking about is the P53 protein. The P53 protein, the gene is called as P53 gene. Now if you think about what is the function of P53 protein, remember it's a cell cycle control protein. That means, again, it's, it becomes active during the G1 to S phase, that checkpoint. And it's also important for apoptosis. And your next lecture is on apoptosis. And you'll be coming back to the function of P53. Now what happens at the end of G1 phase is there is increased transcription of P53. P53 is called as a molecular policeman or policeman of the DNA because it can scan along the DNA and look for errors in the DNA or look for damage in the DNA. Now what happens if there is damage? So typically at the G1 checkpoint, there is increased P53. Now if there is a double-stranded break, what happens is there is a long tr signal transduction cascade and there is production of more P53. This involves ATM proteins and so on to, to form large amounts of P53. Now once P53 is formed, P53 will scan the DNA it will arrest the cell cycle first. It will make sure that the cell does not move on to the next phase. So that's the first job of P53. It arrests the cell cycle. If it finds any damaged DNA, it's going to activate DNA repair mechanism. So that's the next job of P53. And that is what is explained here. So the first thing is to arrest the cell cycle. So that's the first job. It increases DNA repair proteins. That means the cell is trying to repair the damage. However, sometimes the damage is too big that the cell can't repair. Then P53 decides and it's going to initiate cell suicide or cell death, apoptosis, if the damage is too much. If the DNA is able to repair, P53 scans again and if the DNA is good, then it, removes, it, it allows the cell to go into the next phase. If the DNA damage is too much, then it make sure that the cell undergoes death or suicide. Now, the number of proteins that, are, that it can activate is, is a huge number of proteins. We don't want you to go into all of these. We just want you all to concentrate on its jobs, the three main jobs of P53. And it's in that order only. Okay? Cell cycle arrest, DNA repair act activation, and the third function is if it's too much, then it activates apoptosis if the damage is too much. 
Now P53 is said to activate the intrinsic apoptotic pathway. In the, in the lecture after mine, you will be looking at it. So Dr. Martin, I think, Dr. Martin is going to talk about this in more detail. And that is activation of what's called as the BCL2 family members, which are basically pro-apoptotic or they facilitate apoptosis. So these are the three main mechanisms by which apoptosis is activated. The BCL2 family expression is increased. That is increased fast receptor. So he's going to talk about more about that. And there is increased IGFB, uh, IGFBP3 expression. And, and I'm not going to go into it, but I think it's the same picture from his lecture. So just make sure you read it before you come for the exam next week. Okay. Now what we shall look at today is when there is a mutation in P53, what happens is the cell is not able to repair the DNA damage. It's not arrested. That means there is going to be uncontrolled cell division. The cell is not able to kill itself too. In other words, DNA damage accumulates with time and there is progression to cancer. Now here in this family, there is an inherited mutation in P53. Again, note that it follows autosomal dominant kind of inheritance. That means 50% risk to the next generation. So that, that's a typical autosomal dominant kind of inheritance in this side of the family. Note the occurrence of various kinds of cancers. So there is increased predisposition to various kinds of cancers and in different tissues. So P53's job is important in different kinds of tissues. And mutations, inherited mutations of P53 result in increased predisposition to multiple kinds of cancers. Okay? So, however, there is one, one person here. You notice that? His mom has increased ca cancer and she has cancer. The two of his children have cancer. How did he escape? So, most likely he has the mutation. But there is no expression. What is this called? Incomplete penetrance. Yes. Yeah, so incomplete. How do you explain it for P53 mutation? The second copy has not undergone mutation. So it's, it's just a matter of chance. Yeah. Maybe with time he may develop cancer. But until now, until the picture was taken or until the history was taken, there was no history of cancer. That means the second copy is still functional and he has not got the mutation of the second copy and that is what is the meaning of it is recessive at the cellular level. P53 mutation for your information is or this leaf from any syndrome is it has a quite high penetrance. Most of these tumor suppressor gene mutations have a quite high penetrance. That means the second copy is lost, invariably lost. Very, very rare cases like this where the second copy is still active. Okay. So try to answer this question. You have the answer? You need more time. More time. One more time. Okay. <laughs> One more second. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's let's look at the answer. Four seventy-seven. Okay. So what's the answer? Yes. So all of them. Okay. All of them. However, on the exams, you won't be given that choice of all the above, so look for the best answer. But, but in this, it's the best answer is all of the above. So we just want to highlight that, yeah, what is it? Oh, G1 to S is a cell cycle protein. It, it activates the checkpoint. That means it is slowing the cell. It causes arrest of the cell cycle. It's activating the checkpoint means it is arresting the cell cycle. Okay. Okay, I'm glad you asked that. That's the same thing as C. 
A and C is just different words, the same thing. Okay? So when we say the checkpoint is activated, that means the cell cycle is arrested. Okay? So we have seen two examples of tumor suppressor genes. Now we move on to familial cancers and we're first looking at colorectal cancer and in the later part of the lecture we look at breast or ovarian cancer. Now colorectal cancer, we are focusing on the inherited kind only. Yeah? And we shall be looking at familial adenomatous polyposis versus HNPCC, yeah? also called as Lynch syndrome. Now at the end of this, you should be able to say what, is the different, what are the differences between FAP and Lynch syndrome. Okay? Focus on what kind of, what is the gene that is mutant, what is the normal function of that gene, and how do you differentiate it morphologically or just looking, or gross specimens, just looking at the colon, how do you differentiate it. So I'm going to highlight that, but pay attention to these important points. So if you think about familial cancer, one, one part of that, of familial colorectal cancer, most of them are non-familial, so we're not going to concentrate on that. We're just looking at familial adenomatous polyposis, which is one kind of the familial colorectal cancer. Now when you look at the colon of a patient with familial adenomatous polyposis, they have hundreds of polyps which are nothing but overgrowth. So hundreds of polyps, some may be grown more than the others. Okay? Now, the gene that is mutant in, in patients with FAP is called as APC, adenomatous polyposis coli gene, APC gene. And we look at what's the function of the APC gene. Yeah? Now, APC gene is sometimes said to be a tumor suppressor gene because you need to knock out two copies in the cell, both the copies of the a APC gene, you need mutations to result in cancer or to re result in FAB. Now this is a family with, colorectal, with familial colorectal cancer. <clears throat> Note the autosomal dominant kind of inheritance, but remember the second copy has to be knocked off for the patient to have colorectal cancer. Now if you think about these two children, what do you think is the risk of them developing colorectal cancer? The dad has colorectal cancer, there is nothing about the mom, so we assume that she is normal. About 50%, yes, 50%. And, and typically when there is a family history of FAP, what is done is, these in these children, you may want to start looking at the colons when they're about 20 or 30 years old. So that if as soon as you find these polyps, you can, you can do something and you can sometimes resection of the colon can be done to avoid the development to cancer. Okay? Now next we'll see what's the actual function of the APC gene. Okay? And you understand this word, allylic heterogeneity? In different families, there have been different mutations of APC gene reported, but it's the same gene. So this is a classical example of allylic heterogeneity. So let's look at what's the normal function of the APC gene. Now if you, if you think about APC protein, so it, it, it codes for what's called as a tumor suppressor protein. Some people call it a gatekeeper. So it, has a, it functions like a gatekeeper. Now it's important in a pathway, it's a component of pathway called as the WNT sig signaling pathway or the wing, wingless. You're going to study about this, more about this in anatomy too. So it's a component of the WNT signaling pathway, which is, you can translate it to, it's one of the signals to, to indicate growth. So in the presence of the signal, the cell is asked to divide, or the cell is told to divide. So APC is a component of this signaling pathway, and it has this important job of regulating another protein called as beta catenin. Okay, so let's see what happens when the WNT signal, so if you want, you can write the growth signal present or WNT signal is present. Now when there is a signal, WNT signal is present, what happens is 
beta catenin becomes active, it moves into the nucleus, binds to another transcription factor, and facilitates the transcription of growth-promoting genes, or in other words, it results in cell division or cell growth. Okay? So that is what happens when the growth signal is present. So at this time, you must have noticed that APC has no job now. Yeah? APC is quiet now. So let's see what happens when there is no signal. No WNT signal, that means no signal to divide. Now when the signal is absent, now the job of APC is super important. So there is no signal for the cell to divide. So in other words, there is no growth signal or no growth stimulation. Now at this time, APC binds to beta-catenin and it almost shoves beta-catenin. It modifies beta-catenin, phosphorylates it and sends it to the proteasome. It adds ubiquitin to it and sends it to the proteasome for degradation. So it's pushing it. It's acting like a gatekeeper. Yeah? So it's sending it to the proteasome or to the prison. Yeah? Get, get lost. So it's functioning like a gatekeeper, a typical gatekeeper protein. So APC makes sure that beta-catenin is inactivated or degraded when there is no signal. As a result, the next transcription factor is not, cannot do transcription and there is no growth. Now imagine what's going to happen when there is a mutation of APC. So when there is a mutation of APC protein, and there is no signal for the cell to divide, beta-catenin has no one to control it. So beta-catenin binds to the next transcription factor and signals growth, even though there is no signal. So when there is a mutation of the APC protein or the APC gene, what happens is there is no functional APC. So beta-catenin is not phosphorylated, it's not sent away, it goes into the nucleus, and activates the transcription factor which signals growth. So even in the absence of the growth signal, the cell is constantly dividing. And that is nothing but cancer, right? So that is what is happening. So APC doesn't take care of beta-catenin, and beta-catenin is going to result in un uncontrolled growth or uncontrolled cell division. Remember, this is even in the absence of the signal, even in the absence of the upstream signal. Okay. Okay, that's good. Now, this slide illustrates what we have been explaining in the first in the in yesterday's lecture. That is, remember, it's not one mutation that results in cancer. So, remember, if this is familial adenomatous polyposis, the first APC gene mutation is inherited at birth. The second mutation happens sometime, and then you have the formation of small adenomas. So there is increased cell growth. What happens next is mutation of the RAS. You remember RAS? It's a GTP binding protein. Yeah? So mutation of the RAS, note what's happened to the adenoma. It grows even more. This adenoma is still benign if there is a normal P53. It's still benign. That means it's not dangerous, not still dangerous. But if there is a mutation of the P53, it's like it goes over, and then there is development of cancer. So note one, two, three, four events has finally resulted in cancer. Okay? So it's a series of mutations, and the final event in the whole, whole series is the mutation of the P53, the tum tumor suppressors gene, P53. So as long as the, the cell has the normal P53 or the wild type P53, it's still adenoma. That is, it's still just a polyp. But after that, any time the P53 loses its function, then it moves on to cancer. Okay? So the whole preventive colorectal cancer is trying to identify it at this level, okay? where it's still an adenoma, so that because this can happen at any time and in any of the polyps. So remember there are hundreds of polyps. It could happen in any of the polyp resulting in cancer. Okay? So that's about FAP. So we talked about the mutation, 
how does the colon look? So remember hundreds of polyps. Now next we move on to the next um, type of colorectal, familial colorectal cancer called as HNPCC. And this, um, in this cancer, there is mutation of the DNA repair genes. So mutations of, D of DNA repair genes of one class of DNA repair genes. Okay? So HNPCC is the second group of familial colorectal cancer and the defect is in mismatch repair of the DNA. Mismatch repair of the DNA. Now there are two G oh okay. Now this is the colon of a patient with FAP, note the hundreds of polyps. Okay, some are bigger than other, that just tells you that the RAS has undergone mutation. In HNPCC, they are fewer, but they progress much more quickly. So the progression is much more faster. So that is one difference between FAP and HNPCC. Number of polyps is huge in FAP, hundreds. In this, fewer, it's much less. So mutation in the DNA mismatch repair genes, there are two groups that, that are more common, or two genes have been implicated, MSH2 and MLH1. Both of them are involved in DNA repair, that's mismatch DNA repair. Now note that these are present on different locations, in other words, they are two different, entirely different genes. In other words, what I'm trying to explain here is locus heterogeneity. In some families, it's MSH2 mutation, in some others, it is MLH1. Okay. Now, these two proteins are not directly involved in inhibiting of the cell cycle, but more like they prevent the accumulation of mutations. Yeah? So they prevent the occurrence of mutations. Now, in these tumors, there is an important gen genomic abnormality that you see, and that, that is these tumors have a phenomenon of microsatellite instability. And if you, it's hyperlinked to a, a website and you can go back and read what is, a microsatellite typically is four to six pairs of DNA, or four to, it's a string of four to six bases of DNA, and that's, it's repeated multiple number of times. Okay, so microsatellites typically contain four to six bases of DNA. So what happens in, these, in, in this disorder is if you look at the chromosome, you find that there is increase in the microsatellite regions. In other words, there is instability of the microsatellites. Yeah. So we'll try to compare and contrast the two. The mutation in FAP is APC, whereas in HNPCC, it's mismatch repair genes. Numerous polyps, hundreds of polyps in FAP versus fewer polyps in HNPCC. This is an important finding. Microsatellite instability is typical for Lynch syndrome or HNPCC. And we talked about the function. FAP is functions like a gatekeeper in the WNT signaling pathway, whereas HNPCC is more like a DNA repair gene or a caretaker gene, DNA repair. And it's the mismatch kind of repair that is defective in patients with HNPCC. Okay. So try to answer this question. Now to answer this question, you have to first identify what is the disorder, what, what kind of colorectal cancer is this. So what is that? A single large polyp is HNPCC, okay, HNPCC. So what is the gene mutation and what did you write? APC would be hundreds of, hundreds of polyps were discovered, okay. And you can go back and identify what disorder is all the other ones. Okay. So MSH2. The next question.
bless you. Huh? Okay, so again, this is the same patient. If you read it, I think it's exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, sometimes on the exam when we ask this question, you answer it today, but on the exam somehow it's, it, it runs away. Yeah. It's unstable. It, it's not stable in the mind. Yeah. And you tend to forget about it. So pay attention to it. Yeah. Okay. Now the next group of cancer that we are going to look at today is breast or ovarian cancer. Again, familial predisposition to breast or ovarian cancer can occur in, in some families it's due to mutation of BRCA1, in other families BRCA2. Both BRCA1 and 2 are on different chromosomes. In other words, we're talking about different genes. I'm trying to explain locus heterogeneity here. Okay? So locus heterogeneity. Now, even if you compare families with BRCA1 mutation, you find that there are different kinds of mutations of BRCA1 that results in increased predisposition to breast cancer. Then I'm trying to explain that there is allelic heterogeneity. Okay? So there is both locus because it's two different genes, BRCA1 and 2, whereas if you look at just BRCA1 and you look at different families, you find different kinds of mutations of BRCA1. Now what is the function? What's the normal function of both of them have similar function, BRCA1 or 2. Both of them have same kind of function. It is somewhat similar to the function of P53. So basically it's a DNA repair protein. It, it can activate DNA repair or apoptosis if the DNA damage is too, it's too severe. Okay? So it's somewhat similar to P53. The function is almost similar to P53. Okay? And, and you know about this, right? The BRCA testing, it seems, has doubled following the you know, publicizing by Angelina Jolie. So that's the Angelina Jolie effect. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the incidence of BRCA1 mutation in the population versus 2. In some patients, it is because of P53 mutation. Yeah? That's the Lee from Amy syndrome. Now, in, we talked about this um, growth factor yesterday, HER2. In some of the, fam, um, not the family, in some of the sporadic breast cancers, you find there is overexpression of this oncogene or oncoprotein, HER2. Now, the full form of HER2 is it's a growth factor receptor. Growth factor receptor. If you try to go back to the growth factor signaling pathway, what protein is it? One, two, three, four, five. This will be protein 2 of the signaling pathway. Now what has been done in this slide or in this patient is the tumor tissue has been examined by karyotype and you find the occurrence of double minutes. When you do a fish analysis, you find there is amplification of this gene, HER2. And as a result, what happens is these breast cancer cells are now over-responsive to the growth factor. In other words, there is overexpression and therefore these are said to be HER2 positive breast cancer cells. HER2 positive breast cancer cells. That means that they have too much of HER2 on the cell membrane. Yeah? Now one of the pharmaceutical applications of this is, so that's your HER2 present on the cell membrane, so that's your breast cancer cell and there is too much of HER2 present on the cell membrane of the breast cancer cell. I think this two, you can write this number, okay? Two refers to the number that we talked about yesterday. So this is growth factor receptor. Now what has been done is <clears throat> an anti antibody for this growth factor receptor has been developed and it's called as Herceptin. So when you administer Herceptin, what happens is Herceptin binds to HER2 and as a result, there is no activation of the growth factor pathway. In other words, the cell does not divide as quickly. Now, Herceptin has been used only for HER2. It's going to be useful only for HER2 positive tumors and not in the tumors that do not overexpress HER2. Okay? So it's, this is one mode of therapy that in, in which you're trying to use the signal transduction, understanding of the signal transduction cascade to try to use it for therapy. Okay? When you have the time, maybe after the exam, you can look at this movie. That's about the development of Herceptin. Yeah, it was a physician who had to go through a long process of development of the Herceptin antibody.
Okay? So when you have the time. Okay. Now, the last part of the lecture is, is more like a review of what you have seen before. Now, remember, epigenetics has become more and more important in the development of the tumor. Yeah. So understanding of epigenetics becomes more important. There are basically, you can think about tumor suppressor genes being silenced by methylation or sometimes loss of imprinting or microRNA expression, microRNA expression. You've talked about all of this, so we'll not spend too much time on it. Now, when you think about microRNA in the development of tumors, there could be two situations. Now, if it is a microRNA for an oncogene RNA, what you're thinking of is there is reduction of expression of these microRNA that normally inhibit the oncogene RNA. You know the function of the microRNA? Not splicing, no. That is SNRNA. MicroRNA bind to mRNA and then send it away for de degradation. In other words, they are not translated. The mRNA is not translated. So that's the job of miRNA. So your miRNA bind to mRNA. They can allow degradation or what happens is they just, they just don't allow translation. Okay, so that's the job of microRNA. Now, when there is a reduction of the miRNA for the oncogene RNA, what happens is your onco there is too much expression or translation of the oncoprotein. In other words, there is overexpression. Or you have to imagine a tumor suppressor RNA, and there is increase in the miRNA. And as a result, when you have too much of the miRNA for these tumor suppressor mRNA, what happens is there is less of the tumor suppressor protein. In other words, that is equivalent to more cell growth. Okay? So it's, it's, it's more conceptual. So you can go back and try to explain it to your friends. Now, expression array has been done in cancer cells. And, and that's mainly to classify benign versus malignant, see what's the difference in proteins that are, that are expressed. And sometimes even to classify what is the kind of tumor? Is it benign? Is it malignant? Or is it metastatic? Okay? So that is, you have already seen it before, so we are not going to spend too much time on it. We talked about inherited versus sporadic. This is a table to summarize what we just see, saw. And these are the two drugs that we would like you all to remember that have been, understanding the signal transduction pathway has been used for the development of drugs. So uh, we have talked about only two, but remember there are many, many more, and you will be studying more and more about them as you go through med school. Okay? So come in 10 minutes, we'll move on to the next lecture. So thank you. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be here for the second lecture too, so if you want me to answer questions, I don't mind. Yeah?